Good morning. It's a beautiful day out there. I have to say that. I live in the valley right now, and uh, this time of year, it's either foggy or hopefully rainy in the mornings. And uh, it's nice to see the, the beauty this morning. Seems like we've been waiting on something all the time. Lately, we've been waiting on rain. And it has shown up a few times. Today, um, a lot of people are waiting on the Super Bowl game. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a Broncos fan, and uh, I'm not a Carolina fan, so I'm not waiting on the game too particularly much. But it seems like we are all waiting on something. And I have to tell you, I'm not not much of a a waiter. I don't wait well. It's not that I want to be impatient. I'm just anxious for things to move along. Anybody else like that? You're not a very good waiter? Good, good. I, I don't feel as alone. Today we're talking about David, and it was interesting, Psalm 43 was our scripture reading this morning, and you'll find parallels in our scripture for today in Psalm 13. And David is waiting. David's waiting on a lot of things. Uh, He's been waiting to actually be the king of Israel. He was anointed some time ago to be the king, but he's not there yet. He's been waiting. You know, when he, as a shepherd stuck his head above the crowd of Saul and and his brothers and the army of Israel, and he defeated the Philistine, Goliath. He, uh, He made himself a marked man in Saul's kingdom. It drew a lot of attention to him, and some of it was really good attention, but it also drew some negative attention to him. And as he grew in stature and his public profile grew, Uh, his seeming Midas touch began to cause an incredible jealousy to develop in his former hero and his boss, King Saul. And then uh, even even when David moved around in Jerusalem and the ladies would sing his songs when he'd come back from a a military campaign, you know, they were in the, uh, the top 10 at the time. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And what did that do? That made Saul even more jealous. It was jealous of the people's affections. But it also inaugurated a new era of frustration in David's life. It began a time of testing for him as he waited for God to deliver him, not only to the kingship, but also from Saul's now new attacks. Complicating David's life was the fact that while He was a fugitive from Saul. His BFF happened to be Saul's son. And he was married to Saul's daughter. So it's his father-in-law that's that's coming after him. Being married to Saul's daughter had its own issues, but we'd have to get into that a different time. As we discussed last week, though, he took refuge in places like caves, in the desert, in the forests. He even hid out in the land of Israel's arch enemy at the time, the Philistines, where he had to pretend insanity to get away. He had to dribble spittle in his beard and act like he was crazy before they'd finally let him go. So many of the, as we discussed last week, many of the distressed and indebted and discontinued refugees that we spoke of in Psalm 142 last week surrounded him in the cave of Adullam. And they had become his loyal band of soldiers, But even if they, at one point, turned on him. 
See, as a band of soldiers, they were doing some raids against the Philistines and others in the area. And one of the days they got back to camp from one of those military campaigns, David's family and the families of his mighty men had been taken captive by another enemy. And his guys were so upset that they turned on him and nearly stoned him to death. So maybe this was the context, uh, running like a, an animal, a hunted animal, that caused David to write in his text today, Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He's feeling pretty isolated. Now, I'm sure most of us have probably heard, as parents, in the front seat of the car, when you're going someplace, the little question in the back seat. Are we there yet? Even Donkey asked the same thing of Shrek and his wife as they were on their way to uh, forever something or other. I can't remember the name of the city now. Are we there yet, Shrek? Well, uh, God had, had had Samuel anoint David, the future king, not the future fugitive. And yet David was running for his life. And he wrote this psalm while he was depressed, exhausted, running from the, the unrelenting pursuit of the king's army. He was feeling completely defeated, as we talked about again last week, unable to continue. And in verse 3, it sounds as if he's close to the point of death. There might be some folks in here today who have been in that place, feeling really defeated. In fact, there might be some that are feeling that way right now. Or they might be battling a potentially terminal disease. They might be struggling with a difficult personal relationship or some really tough circumstances, unemployment or whatever. As a body, we're waiting on a new pastor. Maybe we're impatient about those things. But the strain and the pressure seem to never let up. You begin to feel a little beaten down, almost unable to get back up and put one foot in front of the other. You find yourself walking in David's sandals, crying out to God, asking, How long, O God? Your eyes can see nothing that indicates that God has sent deliverance or is sending deliverance to you. And the battle continues day after day, and you feel completely alone. David's impassioned, and I'll even call it impatient, cry is much like our kids in the back seat. Aren't we there yet? And here David gives voice to things that sometimes we think, but we're afraid to say out loud. How long, oh God? How long must I deal with this chemo? How long will my teenager turn away from me? How long must we go without a new pastor? In Psalm 13 we have an opportunity to look at how a man of God faced real pressure in his life, how he dealt with it, and how he resolved that issue. We see David's answer to the question, when will God answer my prayer? Or what do I do when God doesn't answer my prayer? Let me encourage you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 13. and want to read those six verses. Psalm 13, starting at verse 1. How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt with me bountifully. Now, Some of these words we've heard before. The first thing I want us to take a look at is the feelings that we sometimes have as we struggle. But before I get there, I want to go back a little bit and mention that, that God does answer every prayer. You know, there's a country song that was out not too long ago about unanswered prayers. And even though I like the song, it was frustrating to hear that because I know some people think, well, God just doesn't answer my prayers. Well, yes, he does. It's just that sometimes we don't like the answers he gives. There are three basic answers to our prayers. He will say yes sometimes. Sometimes he'll say, wait, not yet. And sometimes he'll say, no, I have something better in mind. We only like that first answer. We don't really care too much for the second and third answers. And also, we sometimes think that we need to get our answer from God right now. Now, God, I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm waiting. Can I have my answer now? But he's an eternal God. I, I have learned over the years he doesn't wear a wristwatch. And he does the same thing a pastor does when he's preaching. He lays it up there and pays no attention to it anymore. But God doesn't work on the same timetable we do. He invented time for us. He doesn't deal with it. But he'll answer. And he'll answer in his time. Which is always the right time. But in our frustration and our exhaustion and discouragement, sometimes our emotions can begin to get the best of us. They start to overwhelm our knowledge and our logic. And we start to feel like we're forgotten. But I'll remind you that the worst thing isn't being unloved, it's being forgotten. The first time I saw that picture, that poor little teddy bear looking out the window, it broke my heart. <laughs> the toy that's forgotten. How long, oh Lord? You know, it's been said that the, the length of a time of testing is more threatening to us than the severity of the test itself. At the start of the time of testing, we're all fired up, we marshal our resolve, we call our friends to prayer, and we're intent on defeating whatever enemy it is that we're facing. But then as time drags on, our resolve starts to wear a little bit. We see little progress, little change in the circumstances, we start to grow weary, we lose heart. We never thought that God would have us suffer this long. You ever felt that? I felt that. I felt that in a hospital bed. I was there for, I think all told, five or six months at UCSF. Supposed to die. But now they said, no, you're not going to die. You're going to get better. But I got impatient. I said, I'm not seeing any change in my condition. I just want to go home. 
I'm not sure that, that this lack of resolve or this failure of our resolve is a human reaction or if it's just a cultural one. But we've seen the same issue in a number of, of this country's wars, even recently. We've seen it in Korea and Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan. Regardless of how united we were or were not at the beginning of those conflicts, it didn't seem too long before we were weary of the battles. We were weary of the casualty reports on the news. We began calling for it all to end, to go away, to pull out, to stop it. Prolonged suffering is tough. Whenever we speak of prolonged suffering, we can't help but think of, of Job. He was quickly hit with a series of tragic setbacks, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Losing his property, losing his livestock, losing his servants, losing his children. And we've probably all heard of someone being as patient as Job. At least I grew up hearing that. And at first, Job was remarkably patient and faithful, waiting for answers from God. But Job also had a limit to his patience. At first, it gave way to just endurance. He was tolerating things. But then eventually, it gave in to impatience. And he was not prepared to wait for the required time for God's answers. And I'm willing to guess that every one of us is like him in that regard. Some folks seem to relish the idea of a new test or a new challenge. They're proud of their ability to overcome challenges in their lives. But when the tide fails to turn their way, they become as impatient as Job himself. Let me ask, does God ever forget us? I say no. Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16 asks, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I engraved you on the palm of my hand in light of just having shared communion. That statement, doesn't it just grab your heart? I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. It's more likely that a nursing mother would forget her child than it is that God would forget us. He has said, I will not forget you. Yet in the thick of battle, we start to feel forgotten. Sometimes we feel forsaken. Will you forget me forever? In that, in that phrase, in that sentence, in that question, David thinks God has hidden himself from David on purpose. Forgetting can be accidental, but to be deliberately forsaken, that hurts. And David's hurting. He thinks that for some unknown reason, he's been unanointed. He's lost favor with God. Now, wouldn't that hurt? Wouldn't that be terrifying? Isn't it nice to know that we're not in the same under the same covenant that David was, we have the Holy Spirit. We know as believers that we will not be forsaken, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we sang a little earlier, we read a little earlier, we cannot be snatched from his hand. This is not the first time that David has expressed this sentiment. He did so in Psalm 22, verse 1. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We recognize those words from Jesus as he hung on the cross. That they were written originally by David in his Psalms. David feels, momentarily at least, abandoned. But in the New Covenant, we have assurance from God in Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have to, as we grow spiritually, we learn to have that faith and that trust. Because sometimes the challenges feel like we have been left or forgotten or forsaken. But God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Thirdly, we can be frustrated. <laughs> now I have to ask, how many of you ladies recognize that look on your husband? <laughs> yeah, mine's raising her hand. I see it. David's question in verse 1 was, how long? That implies that time has passed with no clear, obvious answer to the issues that he's facing. Frustration comes sometimes for a couple of different reasons. First, our emotions take control of things. They take control of us. In verse 2, it says, I have sorrow in my heart all the day. I'm sure we've probably all had that experience of a problem kind of taking over our lives. And it just won't go away. We start to lose in our struggle to pray and to study God's word. To study it every day. We remain in close fellowship with fellow believers. We have a struggle doing that. Our problems are so close that they seem to become bigger than God himself. We know we should trust God. But we don't have the emotional will to do it. That was David's issue. In verse 2 he cries daily. And he didn't know how long his trial was going to continue. The second reason that frustration comes is because we have a formidable enemy. David asked in verse 2, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Who was his enemy? King Saul. With all the resources at the king's disposal to prosecute his pursuit of David. David knew that one day those resources were supposed to be his to bring to bear against the enemies of Israel. But right now, he was facing those same resources. And he had no idea that he was going to have to endure 15 years of trial before that became a reality. So his enemy frustrated him. And Saul was a powerful enemy. But nothing compared to the enemy that we face every day, Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us that his attacks are relentless. He says, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's out there right now. He's right. He's right here. He's seeking someone who's so exhausted, so depressed, so defeated, that they just don't feel spiritually they can go on anymore. And he's waiting to just get in there. We can become frustrated, but fortunately we can learn from David how we should respond to an enemy who will not give up. When we're feeling forgotten, we're feeling forsaken, and we're feeling frustrated, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. Most pastors will tell you that 
they've often been asked, Pastor, how do I learn to pray? Most people are uncomfortable to hear that about the only place to learn to pray is when we're on our knees. Why is that uncomfortable? Because for most of us, we're never on our knees unless we've been driven there. That's where David is right now. He's on his knees, and he's been driven there. That's why he's on his knees. David's intense prayer is essentially, if you don't answer me, Lord, I'm going to die. I need to hear from you. Now, if you're taking notes, in the next few minutes, it's going to be kind of tough on you because I'm going to offer a lot of information that comes in groups of threes. You'll have to keep the threes separate. But in verses 3 and 4, David reveals three fears that have driven him to his knees. And there are three aspects of our prayers that we want to look at. And that first aspect is the basis of our prayers. And in that basis of our prayers, David cites three lests. Psalm 13, verse 3 says, Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, as it might for any of us, the idea of dying motivated David to pray. He was absolutely sure at this point that King Saul was going to be victorious over him. Secondly, he says, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. David knows he's supposed to be the next king, but at this point, he fears that Saul might be actually able to prevent that from happening. And then in verse 3, he says, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Everyone in Israel knew about the the conflict between Saul and David. And if David lost, he didn't want the other opponents that he had to be able to gloat. Along with defeat would come great disgrace. Not a good position to be if you're going to be the king. The second aspect of our prayers that we see is the shaping of our prayers. David prays three kinds of prayers in this psalm in verse 3. First he says, consider me. Secondly, he says, hear me and light up my eyes. Consider me. Actually translates, look on me. Harkening back to the idea of feeling forsaken. He's asking the Lord, turn around. Look at me. Again. Secondly, he says, hear me. Here David pleads with God, listen. And then give me an answer to my question. And then thirdly, he says, light up my eyes. Literally, that means, Lord, put the light back in my eyes. David is so defeated here that he needs a renewal of life energy itself. The light had been slowly fading in his eyes and in his face. He wants to put that light back in his eyes. If any of you ever have been in the medical field or whatever, if you've ever been in a situation when you've seen someone pass from this life, You've seen the light go out of the eyes. That's what David felt like he was experiencing. He, was, he felt close to death. He's begging the Lord, Lord, put that light back in my eyes. And just as we saw last week at the end of Psalm 142, in just a couple of lines here, David's downcast countenance will suddenly change. He suddenly declares his trust in the steadfast love of the Lord and his certainty Of being delivered. How does he do that? He does it by remembering who he's talking to. Remember, we talked last week that David would tat that armor of Goliath on his way out of the door every morning? Just to remind himself, God was faithful. He delivered me from Goliath. 
He's brought me here. He's delivered me so far. He's going to keep on doing it. And that's what he does here. He remembers that he can trust the Almighty. It is the Almighty God where his faith is placed. It's important to remember that it isn't so much when we pray what we say to God. The important part is who we're praying to. Praying to is the focus of God or David's prayer. He was focused on the one true God. And that focus is our third aspect that we want to look at, the focus of our prayers. Regardless of how beaten down David got or how discouraged he became or how defeated he was, David's focus didn't stray from his God. He didn't turn to Baal of the Canaanites. He didn't turn to ash with idols. His prayers continued to be directed to the one who was allowing his difficult circumstances to continue to drag on. But he continued to pray to his God. But in looking from his tough circumstances back up to God, he stayed focused on the one. The one who had the power to deliver him. He had that kind of history with God. Lions and bears, Goliath, so far Saul, he had been delivered from them all. And his focus kept him from turning away from his faith. But it wasn't easy. He's down on his face. He says, God, my emotions are out of control. My problems are overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Well, what do you do with that information? What did David do with it? That's kind of a, a so what in the message. What do, you, what do you take that and what do you do with it? Well, we can stay focused on God just as David did. First of all, we can start singing. I'm pretty impressed with the group and the singing that you do in here on Sunday mornings. I enjoyed that, that worship this morning, Tom. Thank you, brother. In verses 5 and 6 of this psalm, it says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When David finally put his troubles in the proper perspective, in relation to God, he was able to start singing praises to God. He was able to rejoice again. Let me ask you if you have a pen or a pencil or something handy. I want you to look at something. I want you to take that pen and hold it out at arm's length from you and look up here at me through it. We're going to pretend that that pen are your worldly troubles. Everything that's trying to beat you down. And let's just pretend that I'm God. Now, what's bigger? That pen? Or me? I would hope that I am, or else you've got really short arms. So God is bigger than your troubles when you're holding your troubles out here at arm length. But draw that pin up close to your eye. Now what's bigger? <laughs> Please say the pin. <laughs> See, if we hold our troubles and our challenges and our trials that close to us, we lose sight of the fact that God is bigger than our problems and our trials and our troubles. We have to keep a healthy perspective on the trials. 
David's song was also a song of victory. How did he get from the point of despair where he, he felt like he couldn't go on to a place of singing praise to God? Have you ever wondered why when, when somebody gets a major challenge in their life, they stop coming to church? Just at a time when you think they need to be closer to God more and more and more to get them through the challenge, we let embarrassment or fear or whatever stop us from coming to church or our small group meetings. It, it causes us to, attempts us at least, to try and put our faith back on the back burner. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. That it gives him that opening, that, that place he can put in a wedge. Even in the middle of his difficult circumstances here, David keeps looking for his God. And when his focus returns and he can see God's provision, he sings a song of victory. His circumstances still haven't changed. Saul's still right on his tail. His army still outnumbers him by a tremendous number. But David's focus has returned spiritually. And that causes him to sing. Secondly, David's song is a song of gratitude. This is one we probably ought to put to memory. Dear God, I want to take a minute not to ask for anything today from you, but simply to say thank you for all that I have. <laughs> That's un not only should we remember it, we should probably recite it a number of times a day. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I got some stuff that's giving me a hard time. But count your many blessings. We have many of them. Each one of us have many blessings. We're exchanging air. We have people around us that we know and we love. Those are two easy ones right off the top. But we have blessings. When we read David's psalm here, we find him over and over and over again reminding himself of how God has provided for him. Who has he saved him from something or helped him through something. Again, his victory over Goliath, his escape from Saul, his delivery from lions and bears when he was just a boy shepherding his dad's sheep. He has good reason to be confident in his future. And that reason is because God has been faithful and has delivered him in the past. So he can look to that and know and say, okay, I get it. You're going to deliver me again. Like David, though, sometimes we, we fall into that old trap of, what have you done for me lately? Don't we? Why would God abandon David at this point? Of course, David knew he would not. He hadn't done it yet. And he said he wouldn't. And that remembrance lifted David up. It caused him to sing. Now, maybe for some of you it doesn't feel right to sing in the midst of tough times. But let me suggest it. It really isn't about how we feel. It's about our character. It's about being molded and tested by God's own hand. At least part of the test is, will you remember and rely on God's faithfulness for your future? Will you let him continue to mold and test you so that you might be the man or woman that he wants you to be? That he's created you to be. That he's called you to be. God's eternal, and his perspective is also eternal. Our circumstances aren't as important to him as our character is. And remember that while we're here on earth, 
What is God doing with us? He's preparing us for heaven. That's the character he's trying to build into us. Now, in Psalm 142, last week, a discouraged, disoriented, deserted, depressed, and defeated David worked his way from defeat and discouragement to the last entry in that psalm. He said, for you will deal bountifully with me. You will deal bountifully with me. Now forget the numbers that we've assigned to him as man. Psalm 142 was written before this one that we're reading today, before Psalm 13. Now look at the last sentence in Psalm 13 if you've got your Bibles open. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Folks, whether it feels like it or not, sometimes a delay in getting the answer that you're looking for from God is in your best interests. So let me just encourage you as we close to exercise your faith, to trust in him. As you pray about the future of First Baptist Church, be patient. God's working on a guy to come be your pastor. He knows who that guy is. You don't. But you have to have faith that God's going to prepare him. And at the right time, he will call him to Cambria. And he will call him to First Baptist Church. In the meantime, we just have to pray. We have to be patient. Whether he says yes, whether he says, ah, wait a little longer, or if he says, no, I've got something better in mind, be patient. Remember that God has those three answers, but he does answer. Would you pray with me? Father, as we've discussed all morning, your grace is incredible. And it's unmerited favor. We know that. We, uh, we've studied enough to know the definition. And yet, Lord, sometimes we forget your grace. We forget your provision. We forget your deliverance. And sometimes we grow discouraged. Sometimes we grow impatient. And yet, Lord, when we look down the road, we have enough history with you, many of us do at least, to know that you have always been faithful, that you do answer the prayers that we throw up there. Whether we're asking for something or praying for someone else, you do answer every prayer that we offer up. Help us, Lord, to be patient enough to listen for those answers and to accept them. That's, that's in a large part what prayer is all about. It's not to change your mind. It's to help us change ours to the point where we agree with your answer. So, Lord, help us be wise believers. And help us to pray a prayer of patience so that we might enjoy the faith that we live by. In Jesus' name.